welcome to After the Bell with your host, Laura. If you like what you hear today, please rate and review kindly. This show is a series of conversations with educators and learners to try and deconstruct some of the stereotypes around education. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit my Instagram page at EducatingLaura. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. Before I get into the second part of the episode with Meg Thompson, if you haven't listened to the first part of the episode, make sure you go and do that because this is a direct follow on. We don't introduce anything again. It's just a continuation of the conversation. I would like to do a reminder about the giveaway that I have with each day diary teacher planners. So I'm going to be drawing that on the 1st of December. I'll put the post in the show notes so you know exactly what you need to do. But it is ultimately a free diary of your choice from each day that will be yours if you're the winner. So make sure that you get into that. It's a fantastic giveaway. I'm really grateful for them. And also I'd like to give a shout out to a small business because I've been giving out a little bit of promotion where I can to small businesses in Melbourne, especially after COVID. And this one is called Cloud9 Farm. And they have decided to close their doors to people coming directly to the farm and now have an online business. And so they say that the second chapter of their business is an idea driven by passion, evolved into the small business that is known today as Cloud9 Farms. Family owned and situated on a small farm in the Macedon Ranges, the Deeble family showcased their farm, produced wine and cheese for over five years. Although the cellar doors are no longer open, the desire to produce small batch quality wines lives on and their wines can be found online via their website. And I will make sure to include that information in the show notes for you. It's a small, unique artisanal winery. And I know that they would really appreciate your support and business in this time. Also, I wanted to let you know that Meg is rewarding you for listening to the two episodes that she is a part of. So if you want to message her, email her, I'll have her information in the show notes. Anything that you've learned from this episode and the episode previously, she will actually award you a professional development certificate. So free PD for listening to her two episodes, which is incredibly generous. Now over to Meg for the second part of our conversation. I have people like, I don't I think that this stuff works. Okay. Well, these people don't. And the people that don't have autism. Yes. So we need to listen to them. Mm. Right. I said one time, I always say a child with autism. Yeah. And an autistic adult said, we're autistic adults and they're autistic children. Mm-hmm. You don't have to say in a child with autism. And I was like, so now I say it both ways. Cause I was like, Oh, Because when I say autistic children, someone always says, we want to say child with autism because they're children first. And I said, that's what I thought. That's how I've been taught. Then I had an autistic adult say, we're just autistic people. We're proud of it. You say a child with autism because you think the autism part is bad. So you want to say that second. I can Mm. be autistic first. I'm darn proud of it, that adult said. And I was like, awesome. Again, I'm not going to, I was assuming something. And now, so now I say it both ways. Yeah. And, and I always, someone always says it, I, you should say a child with autism. I know that's what I used to say, but I'm opening my mind and my heart to figuring out how to say things appropriately. And, and I'm sure there's some children with autism or autistic children that want it a different way. Yeah. So I'm just, someday I'm probably going to have to say all six ways every yeah. time I talk about it. <laughs> but even I find myself too, because I don't feel so, and that's why I'm asking you, I don't feel particularly well educated about it because mm. I haven't had a great ex- a great number of experiences. And so I'm very wary of how I say things, how I label, because I don't want to be offensive. But then at the same time, I need to say something to then get an answer or to get the help. Yeah. So I feel like yeah, yeah. sometimes I'm in that sort of catch-22 that I don't know that I quite understand enough to ask what I want or to get the help that I need, but I have to say something. Otherwise I'll just stay in this one place Right. because I want to move forward. I want to be better and I want to be more supportive and I want to know more because I'm a teacher with, with children, you know, that are on the ASD spectrum in my class. Right. And then you're afraid to say, 
any sort of question because you're like, what if I say it wrong? And then I don't get the answer. I just get anger. And you're like, oh, man. So I've done a lot of, I will send you all that stuff too because I have like. Plays. Yeah, a lot of articles, a lot of places to go on Facebook and Instagram about these adults that have autism or autistic adults, right? Say both ways. Mm -hmm. That give great strategies and they're not the ones that were used with them, unfortunately, many, many times. And I work with kids with mostly high functioning autistic kids, but I've worked Mm. with lower functioning autistic kids and uh, kids with autism. And I think if you're intuitive, and I think you should be intuitive with children if you work with children, although I see a lot of times that's not the case, that intuitively you know what to do if you just sit and watch and listen and observe. Yeah. But that takes time and patience. And sometimes we're not allotted that. Right. I get in for a child with autism once and they said, we just want to make sure that we've covered all our bases and we've done all the strategies before we put them out of district. You're our last person to go in and do this. What does it mean to be placed out of district? What does that mean? So this kid was in a town and he went to his town school. They thought they weren't, they weren't helping him as best they could. So they were, the parents wanted him to be placed out of district, but that means his homeschool has to pay for it. And it's like, can be upwards of a hundred hundred thousand dollars. So they wanted to make okay. sure that they yeah. did everything that they were supposed to be doing. And I of was, the person. I went in, they were doing nothing they were supposed to be doing. They were doing all the stuff that is typically done with autistic kids. And it was not working with this one. So I went in and I wrote a whole new thing and the parent never saw it. I wrote a whole new report about all the strategies that had to change and the parent never saw it. They never gave it to the parent. And now the boy goes out of district. Because they weren't gonna, they weren't willing to change their ways. So, what are the go-to ways that schools tend to deal? And I'm saying this in inverted commas with a child with autism that may not necessarily be the only ways. What are the go-to ones? The go-to ones are usually ABA, so applied behavior analysis, where they do the compli- It's co- well, I call it compliance training. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of we're going to get a lot of um, hate mail about this. Just so you know, so buckle up and. Shake it out. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Maybe okay. not you, but I will because I'm very strongly against ABA and people, right? A lot of people want autistic kids or kids with autism to look normal. Normal. I'm putting that in air quotes too. And yeah. so they do a lot of compliance training, but it's called, uh, that's why I'm called a behavioral consultant and not a behaviorist. So a behaviorist is the person that is in charge of doing this ABA. So they have trials okay. and they have to pass the trials. And I don't know, again, that much about it because I have never done it because I refuse to do it. Okay. But it is the way, it's the only, it's about the only thing funded. If you needed like insurance or something to pay for treatment for your kid, that's an air quotes too. Yeah. Then that is the one you have to use. If you use me, right? Okay. This mom that's using me to help with her autistic boy her child with autism she had to pay me out of her pocket i'm not covered by insurance okay so it is usually a typical way it's that's where the sticker charts and all that stuff token systems token economy started at aba and now they're like spreading throughout everybody kids on the spectrum kids Mm. off the spectrum i don't think they should be done with any kids but there are people definitely on the other side that disagree with me okay so these sort of sticker charts and these kind of external reward systems are often used as part of a strategy for a child with autism. Like M&M. I've seen kids with autism, children with autism, autistic children, given M&Ms. For what? For doing what they, What behaviour do they have to show? For, for doing their trials. And what's in a trial? What well, kinds of things are they uh, doing? Like, it's compliant. So like when they're mad that they calm themselves down any sort of academic okay. piece, any sort of social piece. It's all like broken down into like a curriculum piece. And then when they do well, they get, and someone follows you around with a little clipboard and you get checked off for things. And it's very impersonal, actually. Not always. Again, people will argue with that, uh, with me on that too. The people can be very good at it and use a lot of great social skills. I have seen that as well. I still disagree with the system. So coming back to every child, yeah. How do we create a system that is not based on external validation mm-hmm. and that allows for motivation from a better place? How do we do that? 
Oh, so that is going to be, Laura, in my master class. So there is a tiered system that is wonderful. Okay. So first we start with ourselves. Then we have to answer questions like, who is this child? So we have to know our profile, like our profile assessment. So like what our temperament is and what the child's temperament is. We have to fill that child's toolbox with the appropriate strategies. Together, between who am I and who is this child, we go to relationships. We have to build strong and empowering relationships. We have to look at the environment and the four pieces of the environment. Programmatic, interpersonal, physical, and physio- and psychological. No, philosophical, sorry. I knew there was, it was a f- philosophical. <laughs> and the yeah. four pieces of the environment. Then we have to look at differentiation of instruction. How do I teach and how do kids learn? Yes. Then we have to go to discipline through natural and logical consequences, being related, respectful, and reasonable. Then only when all that doesn't work that I just said, do we go to support plans? Do we go out to an OTPT, get an evaluation, go to a neuropsych? So before we start the at the very bottom, before we start at the who am I question, we get 18 to 24% of kids are diagnosed with something. So they need additional support. If you go through who am I, who is this child, relationships, environment, differentiation of instruction, discipline, you do all that and all the strategies and figure out where that comes from, right? That's where all the teacher skill meet and need is. They're all in that group. You go from 18 to 24% to one to 2% of the kids need to be diagnosed. Really? Uh Uh-huh. So do you think that we are overdiagnosing potentially? Oh, yes. A hundred percent. I don't doubt that for a minute, any day ever. Yes. I get kids diagnosed with ADHD all the time that I was like, my temperament is diagnosed with ADHD. I bet people probably have diagnosed me already (laughs) (laughs) through this this podcast. Um, And I don't have it. And people are like, oh, sweetie, maybe you should go to the doctor. (laughs) But I I don't have it. I, it's my temperament. So when I get kids with ADHD, I just use the strategies that work on me. So they didn't have to be diagnosed. I could just use my toolbox. So what's in your toolbox then? My toolbox is what do I do for distractibility? What do I do for attention span? What do I do? Like I haven't used it yet, but I have this fidget that I usually use. So it's lavender and spearmint. It's Parker Mountain Comfort Wraps, which is amazing. And it has two marbles. There's a marble here and a marble here. And I usually just do this and I put the marble all the way up. And it smells like, smells so good. And it, your nose fits right there. So usually I hold this because I have to focus. So kids who can't focus also can hyper-focus. Talk to them about how do we get from one to the other? It's about interest. Okay, bud, but not everything's going to be interesting. So how do I make things more interesting for you? How do I change your seating? How do I change your desk? How do I introduce material to you? And people can Mm -hmm. say, well, then I'd have to do that for every kid. Yeah. And it takes a lot of work. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not an easy strategy. The easy, yeah. the fun, fast, and easy strategies we've already talked about. Yes. Those are the sticker charts. Yes. Clip down systems. So then there's, right, kids. I work with some kids with autism. And I was like, hmm, I would have never picked that out. I see you as this type of temperament. That temperament has a toolbox. Sometimes that temperament gets diagnosed with autism. Really? Sometimes my temperament gets diagnosed with ADHD. Sometimes my son temperament gets diagnosed with anxiety. Mm. Those really strong-willed, determined kids, they get diagnosed with ODD, oppositional defiant disorder. Sometimes it's just temperament. Yeah. People don't know about the temperament. My temperament piece, I think, should be the beginning of every teaching education class ever. I think everybody should, and maybe not for me, it doesn't have to be for me. Yeah. I'm not trying to do it to make millions, right? We're in the wrong job for that. Yes. You're right. Darn. <laughs> but it should be, we should know the temperaments. Temperament plays a huge part in how kids act and how they are. And we miss that whole piece. Yes. So now I'm playing with it. Now I can't stop playing with it. It's really interesting. I had a boy who was, and he was in year seven at the time, and he was such short attention span. And the poor kid, and I was young, I was probably, oh, I'm going to say my second or third year of teaching. And so I was, really wanting to make it look like I was a good teacher using the modeling yeah. that I'd received. And so in English, you sit together for often a whole lesson and you you will read a book. This poor boy couldn't do it. Oh, I know so many he, kids. That would, would, oh, yeah. I have compassion for that teacher that I was because she really wanted to do 
a good job, but she just didn't know how. Um, And I think that anybody that sort of is thinking, oh, my God, I did that, it's all right that you did it as long as we sort of move forward. I think that's the goal here. Right, to see things act differently, yeah. Yes, but this poor boy and he would elbow and he would and I would get so cross at him. In the end, I brought him in. What did I bring him in? A stress ball, I think, two stress balls. And he sat there and just did that. But the thing is is that often, you know, you have your tech decks. I don't know if you have those in a, in America, the little skateboard things that the kids play oh, yeah. with on their desks or the fidget spinners or whatever, and they become banned because, you know, it's not good learning for them to be sitting there and playing. And I actually heard he, his name's Hamish Blake. He's a really well-known Australian celebrity. And he said the way he learns, he has to be distracted to pay attention. Yeah. And he learnt as an adult and he said, it sounds really silly, but when he said it, I thought, we don't talk about that. No. And he's a really a really accomplished Australian comedian, actor and all of that. And he sits in lots of meetings and he said, I have to be drawing or playing with something. And he said, and I, you have my full attention if I'm doing that. If I have to sit and listen to you, I'm not picking up any of it. Yeah, me, me either. And if you're boring? Yeah. You better, I don't know, give me dollars. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Do a cartwheel. But if I go to workshops and you're boring, I don't care if I paid <laughs> for it. I don't care if I lose my hours. I can't sit there. I can't sit and do it. I, I think no. diarrhea. I have it. I'm like, oh, I've got to go. Right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just can't do boring. And, and, and I can only imagine how boring some of these kids are finding all this virtual learning. And they just, yeah, kids do well when they can. And when they don't do well, it's because yes. they just don't know. Or they've had adverse experiences and, and they're trying to figure it out. But a lot of times it's like these yeah. kids are being naughty or they're being bad. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we, can we yes. get away from that? Just stop. Kind of- if we actually spoke to those kids that have those behaviors or, or have those distracting elements, if we actually spoke to them and, and asked them why they were doing it, there would be a much richer conversation than just confiscating. And- they, I mean, old enough, of course, if you're old enough to have a conversation, every kid I've had a conversation with has come up with a strategy that I could use and tell the teacher. And they're going to use strategies for themselves if they think of it. Right. But we don't think to ask them because again, we try, we try to hoard the power. Do you think this is a, this is a question I wanted to ask you before, actually, do you think that you get more honest answers because you are not the rule enforcer in the room? Do you think that kids are more comfortable with you than maybe a teacher or somebody that they don't feel or they feel as though they have to impress, maybe? That is part of it, yes. It's also part Mm. of it is because I am like this with kids. They get to call me Meg. I talk to them like regular human beings. Yeah. But I also was a teacher for 10 years. And I left teaching because I was successful with the hard kids. So I also can do it when I am the teacher. But yes. Yes. But, and sometimes they're like, well, of course they do that for you because you're new or you're novel or you're, yeah. you're, you're not the teacher or you're not. And I'm like, yeah, but it's still a strategy from them. So yeah. then we're on and say, you know what? I didn't know what to do. So Meg came in to help me. She's teaching the teacher. That's strange, right? So she said, this is what you told her would be a good strategy. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? I'd love to discuss it. I can't even believe I didn't even think to ask you. I am a dingbat, man. Mm. Well, that's a strategy I guess I'm using, right? Ask more questions for the kids that probably have the answers, right? What teacher can't do that? That takes, what did that take? 13 seconds? Yeah. But again, you have to relinquish power and control Mm. and be humble. Yes. To be able to do Yes, absolutely. And I think that that's the best lesson I've ever learned is that I don't have to be the hardest worker in the room. I don't have to be, be the performer in the room. I don't have to know everything in the room. I just have to be able to facilitate the learning in the best way for every student in the room. That, to me, is the mm-hmm. role of a teacher. Right. And you're only a teacher if there's a student. Yeah. So if the kid doesn't want to yeah. learn, you were awarded. Yeah. You're not a teacher. So you have to be a person that they can hang out with, that they could talk to. that they Right? And then yes. you have to make sure you don't go too far to the friendship right of course there's a there's a middle ground but I feel like sometimes and I think teachers are taught this that they that they have all the rule and power it's their room the kids have to listen to them I'm like oh that yeah it's got to be tiring and there's Mm going to be kids that don't that don't do it 
And then behavior supports that whole aura about you, the behavior management strategies. Yeah. And I think sometimes we just got to chill. Well, I think we're in a really interesting time with teaching where it's not quite the same anymore and we're trying to figure it all out because what we were, what, how we were taught and how we've seen it done is no longer working yeah, with yeah. the kids that we've got. And I think a lot of the teachers don't feel good about it anymore or don't feel like they want to actually yeah, exactly. emulate the way that they were taught. And so we're, on, we're in this really strange place, I think, with education and how we move forward teaching. I think so too. And I think that curriculum, we're in a weird spot with curriculum too. So I remember going through middle school and high school and learning all this stuff and then in college learning it differently and thought, mm-hmm. what? I remember in fourth grade learning about that Christopher Columbus found America. <laughs> and then in fifth grade, we found out he did not. Yeah. And I was like, what? But in fourth grade, yes. I found out he did and I got an A on my oral report. But my son right now is learning about the white settlers and the Native Americans, and he comes mm. home so sad. He's mm. like, Mommy, we were not nice. They're telling the real story. And I was like, oh, thank goodness we didn't. Because yeah. if they came home about Christopher Columbus, I was going to write to the school. But, I mean, I remember learning about different things, and I'm like, I don't even know if that's important. Uh, like, do we still teach kids about Christopher Columbus? Well, we don't in Australia, <laughs> but I'm sure we taught them about Captain Cook, who discovered Australia. So it's the same. it's the same idea. Right. And if you get off your boat and you found Mm. America and you shook hands with the people on the land, guess what? You didn't find it. (laughs) There was already somebody there. You were the second person to find it maybe, but you weren't the first. But isn't that so crazy? Of course, that's the logical thing. And yet it didn't seem so logical at one time in a history textbook, huh? Or all the books I read, like I remember reading like seven books of Christopher Columbus because I was looking for all different information. They all said he found it. Yeah. So now we have to change our curriculum and we have to, yeah. like, well, I wonder what in years from now, what the pandemic is going to, how that information is going to be relayed to. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. That's going to be hysterical. You'll be like, no, no, no. I lived through it. That is not how it happened. That's actually another thing I'd like to talk to you about. Obviously, I'm in Melbourne, so we have had the longest lockdown in the world. Lucky us. Yeah, woo! And so, and so it has obviously created quite a large element of anxiety yeah. behaviour in kids. Just wondering how we can, yeah, how we can support our kids. What kind of strategies would you offer for the kids currently locked down or doing remote learning that are finding that quite challenging? So we have to, as adults, before we start to look at the kids, we have to look at ourselves. If we're, so yesterday on the podcast, I was asked, what are the, what are the things you're most concerned about? And I said, um, the overwhelm of adults, the self-care we're not doing anymore of adults and the stress of adults. So for us to support the kids, we need to watch out for ourselves first, right? Watch out for number one. So you don't step in number two, right? That's a Famous, famous saying, I don't know who wrote it, but someone funny, obviously. <laughs> and um, so we need to take care of ourselves. But now we are, we made this big decision. Does our kid go to school, stay home from school? Do we homeschool and pull them out to, of school altogether? Yeah. Are we now the parent and the teacher? That's a very hard juggling act. Yes. Now if we're parent and teacher and we aren't working, so now our significant other is working all the time. So we don't ever get any time to ourselves. So now we have to bring everybody to the grocery store. We all have to mask up and the masks, the kids don't like the masks and my kids aren't wearing masks and I had to keep my kid home because he's not going to wear a mask and then he was going to get in trouble. So all that and I can see like the heads like throbbing like this and they're going to go. Yeah, 100%. So we have to figure out how to take care of ourselves and that looks different for everybody. I have a workshop on that too and we need to look at our wheel of wellness, right? There's specific things we have to look at for ourselves to heal ourselves, to be good adults in a child's life. Yeah. We then need to help the kids figure out what to do. So they also have a wheel of wellness, except they can't meet a lot of the criteria or fill up their buckets by themselves because they're little. Yeah. So we have to help them. So my son needs a lot of, I'm noticing now that he's in school, when he comes home, mommy, do I get chill time? And that's just him going on his iPad or because there's not a lot of that stuff in school or going in front of the TV or just playing Legos. He just needs like something where there isn't an activity. 
Yeah. He needs to have that. And could I say, no, bud, we have to. He doesn't have homework at his school. I said, right, I could be like, no, bud, we have to. And and then he gets, he's prone to headaches like I am. So he just needs the chill time. Yeah. He's having a hard time at school because he's so sensitive. The white settler Native American thing is really bothering him. Right. I have to let him talk about it every day over and over and over. Where I want to poke my eyeballs out, Laura, to be honest. (laughs) I want to be like, oh my God, we're still talking about that. We have to let kids vent. Yeah. Right? You know what, mommy? I think the white settlers were stupid. And stupid is a word we don't use. (laughs) Right. Right. He goes, I know I'm not supposed to say that word, mommy. But I feel better because I said it. And sometimes adults throw the F-bombs because that makes us feel better. Yes, it does. Right? <laughs> yes, it oh, makes me feel so good. I just I just, I just, just love it. But, right, and, and if I tried to keep Brennan busy and not talking and no chill time, because I think in my own head mm. that would make it so he just didn't think about things. And, you know, some people keep themselves busy yeah. so they don't think about stuff. Like, what if that was my thought and that's what I did to him? Yeah. Because I haven't dealt with my stress. So for me not to deal with it, I have to stay busy and keep going. Yeah. And I can't have downtime because I'll think about it and then I'll and then I'll crack. Yeah. So I'm gonna have him do that too. Yeah. And then what happens? That's not the way he needs it. Yeah. So we gotta listen to mommy, I need chill time. Mommy, I didn't know if you knew that's always gonna be a white seller Native American question. <laughs> my mother in law, who passed away four years ago, we think we're gonna spit in the twenty three and me tube had Native American in her. So Brennan really likes Native Americans, Indians. Again, we're probably supposed to call them both, right? I'm not really sure. And so he's so sad that we treated Native Americans like that because he has this... I mean, I think he loves his whole family, but Bibi, my mother-in-law, his his grandmother was... Oh, my gosh. He cries every day still. It's been four years. He cries every day he gets stressed out and he comes home with headaches because of he's so stressed about how we treated others. And he's so yeah. compassionate and kind. And it's so wonderful that he's like that. Yeah. But I also know that the way I deal with things is not the way he deals with things. Yeah. So I have to listen carefully, actively listen and be able to give him what he needs, even if it's not what I need and I have to miss out or not get what I need. Yeah. But after this, after we're done talking, then I'm, I have the rest of the day until one. And so I'm going to do some self-care, right? It's beautiful here. I'm going to go, going to go for a walk. And so like that stuff, I know I have to take care of myself because I know what's happening at two when I get him. Two yes. But I think, I don't know if I'm lucky in that, in that sense that I get that time. I think we have to be able to reach out and ask somebody or people for that time, right? Yeah. So we have to fill our own boxes to fill up other to fill up kids for sure and to allow the kids to actually give us the strategies and to give us the information Mm. that they need and to believe them I suppose when they tell you and don't think that they're being I see a lot of adults thinking that kids are being dramatic or over the top or unnecessary buck up and put on your big girl panties and right all that stuff I've and I'm like, oh, I think now of all times is not the time to do that. There are some times we need to put on our shell and go out into the world. And then there are some times when it's all right if we're squishy in the middle. And we got to let kids be squishy sometimes. Yeah, I think there's too much of that. Get on with it. To me, I've always yeah, get on, um, yeah, I've always I've always thought that emotions tell us the real story. That's how I look at it. So whether or not they have the words for that emotion, the fact is that that emotion has been associated with that experience. So trying to put that together as the adult, and for me, I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. I'm the one that's got to try and put that together logically, but I have to try and do that for them because otherwise... I don't think it's I don't think yeah. it's my job to to tell them how to behave. Yeah, I think that they that they should be able to feel whatever they feel, and it's my role to try and support them in yeah. that and to try and figure out the cause of that in order to support them better. I agree, and I, and I also think just because they're because they're four and two, you have to do it, but you might have to do it when they're fifteen as well. Just because they're fifteen doesn't mean they still know how to deal with those emotions. Yeah, 
Um, I work with a lot of teachers of young children, really young children, and the child will fall apart or tantrum or fall down the stairs and cry or be right uh, mad, sad, or afraid. And the teacher will say, you're okay, you're okay, get up, you're okay. And I look at the child and I look at the teacher. I said, oh, he's crying. He's okay. I said, you don't usually cry when you're okay. That's yeah. interesting. And then the teacher looks at me and I'm like, well, sometimes I don't make friends because I have to speak up. Yeah. Because have you ever cried when you're okay? No, never. No, not one time. <laughs> Even when you are, you cry in happiness, you're still not okay because there's still like overwhelming emotion and you might need a minute. Yes. Yeah. But if you're, but if you're screaming and throwing stuff and hitting things and flipping chairs, I promise you're not okay. Because when you're okay, you don't do those things. Well, so let's lead in. So my next question, which I think we're already kind of in the middle of, is that idea of big emotions. And we all experience them. I experience them. My kids experience them. And we're better at hiding them. Do I think that means I've dealt with them? Absolutely not. In fact, when we got into stage four lockdown all day, I was like on edge. And all it took was I could not find the Tupperware container lid. And you lost your marble? Set me off. Yeah, yeah. That was it. Lost the it. Lid. Cried on the floor. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I had all day been trying to suppress those feelings, yeah. not doing a particularly good job, and I needed a release at, at some point. So I'm wondering how do we navigate some of those really big emotions to do it without the shame and the guilt that we're often fed about those really uncomfortable feelings? Well, I think a lot of adults are – told not to, I, I've been told this in a workshop. Oh, I had one, one workshop trainer, this woman told me, teacher told me, uh, that says we shouldn't show our emotions. I said, well, first of all, that's impossible. Second of all, you can't. Mm. When you're around kids, you can't show them, or if you're the teacher of kids, you can't show them probably as intense as they are. Yeah. But you can ask for a minute. You could say, oh, you mm. know what? I'm having a really tough time right now. And I'm going to just sit at my desk and take a drink of water and close my eyes for a minute. I feel like that might help. And you know what? If you're doing mm. stuff like that or in you're in your home and you know what? I don't believe in timeout for kids, but I do believe in adults putting themselves in timeout, like mm. diarrhea. That's a good timeout. <laughs> I have a stomachache. I got to go to the bathroom and you just <laughs> sit in the bathroom. Yeah. Then kids know, oh, when I'm yeah. sad, I could go to the bathroom. When I'm upset, I could close my eyes and get a drink of water. When we do those things and they're appropriate, kids will learn, oh, those are some things I can do when I'm mad or when I'm sad or when I'm yeah. afraid. We have to be good role models. If we hold yes. it in the whole time, what do kids see? Hold it together till you explode because yeah. there's not a lot of people that thought it was the Tupperware that set you off. Yes. Right. Yeah. No one thought, oh, Lauren can't. She's got, oh, she is. The Tupperware made her crazy. No. And then you say, well, Victoria's <laughs> in the stage four lockdown. And yeah. they're like, oh, so it wasn't the Tupperware lid. Yes. I have a workshop called Tools on Calming Children. And a lot of the tools we talk about are mindfulness and deep breathing, yeah. which has a physiological effect. But then there are people like me and my son where deep breathing doesn't work without being paired with something of your hands, feet, and mouth. So we go, but when my son and I are both on edge and feeling stressed and anxious, we lay down and we take deep breaths and we pound our, my bed really hard while we're deep breathing. Yeah. Because it needs to be paired for us. And he didn't know. He's like, mommy, I can't take any more deep breaths. You're just not working anymore. And I was like, you know what, bud? Deep breaths never work for me by themselves. I said, you know, it works for me. And I taught him. So he's like, mommy, we need to go pound the bed. That's what he says now. And I was like, okay. So we pound it and pound it and pound it. And then I said, do you feel good? And he's like, yeah, let's just. And then we go to our Happy Valley. Happy Valley is the place. Uh, it's either Montana in Yellowstone or it's in, well, he calls it Florida Bell. Yeah. But it's Sanibel Island in Florida. Yeah. And we go there in our brains. Yeah. And then we start to talk about our favorite things that we did there and what we do there when we go back and it calms our bodies so we have to talk we have to use our hands and feet and we have to take deep breaths mm. we forget all that and just teach the deep breaths yeah which well, I, there's some kids yeah that's really interesting do you but that's the thing i think like you knew that 
and you had that strategy ready to go, would he yeah. have ever come to that, do you think, on his own? Yeah, because he does this. He goes, and he vibrates. Uh, okay. Because he needs it to come out, but he's trying to keep it in. And I said, bud, you don't have to keep it in. I mean, you can't hurt anybody or hurt yourself or hurt property. Yeah. So why don't we go on my bed and hit the bed? And he was like, that sounds like a great idea, mommy. So yeah. now that's the strategy. But it has always been, he's when he was really little, like your two-year-old, we have this big, what's over there? It's a big owl blanket. And it's so big that when he engulfed it, it was like he could squeeze it. And so it always has come out in his arms and legs. Mm. So then I thought, yeah. So, and it comes out in your arms and legs uh, for people who kickbox or people who run or people who box or people who exercise or uh, the people who swear, say bad words. Like it, it, people feel anger in those three places, hands, feet, and mouth. And some kids, those are the really, those are the really hard ones. So the ones that do it in all three places, because then you have to replace that behavior. You can't take it away. If they do it with their hands and feet, you can't say, take a deep breath. Yeah. Because you're using the wrong part of their body and it's not going to work. So you have to, you could take a deep breath because it's physiological, but then use their hands and feet as well. So for somebody who wants to punch a bed or punch a boxing bag or something like that, and that's a really good anger release for them. Yeah. How do you have a behavior, a classroom appropriate behavior that allows that type of outlet then? So then you have to ask the kid. This is a good one for asking the kid. Mm. Like if I was the teacher, I'd say, you know what, buddy? I was told to take deep breaths my whole life. You know what doesn't work? Just deep breaths. I know that it's supposed to calm my brain. It doesn't feel all the way calm if I don't use my arms and legs. I can see that in you. I think you and I are alike like that. So at my house, I have a punching bag. In my house, I have a bed. In my house, I have pillows. Here at school, we do not. What do you think will work? Do you think if you like, if someone monitored you on the field and you did sprints? Do you think yeah. if you had clay that was really hard and you could squeeze? I could think of some things. And could you think of some things? Maybe by the end of the day, you think of five and I think of five. And you might yeah. think oh, they're all silly. You might think they're stupid. Whatever ones you have, I'm going to try really hard to implement them. Just make sure that right we don't get in trouble right oh man imagine we had to go to the principal because we decided it was water balloons um (laughs) water balloons would be awesome right and you have to use a little bit of humor and a little bit of i see myself in you you're not the only one who needs to hit stuff yeah but we have to have these honest conversations with kids and i think adults first think that makes me have to relinquish a lot of power and control Mm. and we have to be humble in it that I don't have time for that, but you're going to have time when that kid blows up and throws chairs. Mm. But teachers say maybe, but I'm just hoping it doesn't happen, but it will. Yes. But what I'm hearing is that making them not feel isolated and alone and odd and strange, allowing them to feel validated and giving them a voice and being a part of the conversation. That's all I'm hearing in everything you just said to me. Yeah. She's pointing at the Maslow Maslow (laughs) hierarchy. Yes. Yes. Even if you think you're like no other kid in the class, you're like me, buddy. And look, I had one girl who was having such a hard time and the teachers made her feel so like she didn't belong and she was weird and strange. And, and I uh, did the profile assessment with her. She came out to the numbers exactly like me. And she started to tear up. And I was like, oh, I hope that's a good thing. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, no. I said, we're exactly alike. And then there were tears. And I thought, oh, geez. And I thought, oh, you're crying. I don't know if that's happy or sad. So I'm going to ask more questions. Yes. What are you crying about? She said, you know what? I just thought that I wasn't going to turn into anything, that I wasn't going to amount to anything. And then the tears oh. started to happen. I said, okay. So now are you convinced that you're not going to? Because right, because she was like me. Or, or are you convinced you are going to? She goes, well, you live on the beach, right? Yep. You have a husband? Yep. And you have a son who you love? Yep. And you have a job and you make money and you and you have a house and you have a car? And I said, yep. She goes, so I might make it. And then it was, she sobbed. She was 15. And she thought oh. because of her, the way she was, is that she would never get a job or have a, a family and live in a house and 
I don't know if she thought she was going to live in a cave or in a, but because she was introduced to me and we were alike yeah, that she was going to make it. Yeah. That's so sad though at 15. It's she sad she that she spent all of those years thinking that she was going to amount to nothing. Nothing. It's a long time. It's a long time to think that. It is a very long time. And I think there's some adults that think that. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of adults become what they think they should be. Oh, for sure. Yep. And yeah. and if they start to come outside and, and kind of have a louder voice and, and um, all this, some adults have a harder time when they get pushed back, down, when they whack them all, right? When they get pushed back in their place. Yeah. Yeah. Where I've been tried to uh, whack a mole doesn't work on me, if you can imagine. So when you get <laughs> when I get hit to get back down in my place, I pop back up again because I yeah. I'm just right. I, if I could be convinced that sticker charts worked and clip systems worked, I could make probably five times the amount of money I make now because it's easier to do it that way. I'd for sure make more money. And with my temperament and my ability to be good at relationships, I would make a lot of money. But I chose the other way because that way is uncomfortable for me and hurts my heart and makes me want to cry. So I chose another way, but now I make less, way less money. And I constantly have to have fight in me. Always. Yeah. Always. And sometimes I have to watch what I post on social media because I don't think that it's going to turn into a thing. And then it turns into a thing and then it ruins my whole day. And I'm just like, <sighs> then I said, okay, I have to respond to this professionally. Although I yeah. want to respond to it personally because you're hurting kids yeah. and you're being a big bat and mm. I can't. <sighs> so sometimes I'm like, Oh, I'm going to ruffle feathers today. And when I wake up or like tomorrow, right? Tomorrow morning, I'm going to ruffle feathers. This is the post I'm going to make. And sometimes I don't post it because I wake up like, I can't. Yeah. I just can't ruffle that, that many feathers because I don't have it in me to be that loud today. But it's just people being defensive because yes. they feel, and that's what I'm saying. Look, that's why I've made it very clear that I have done some of these strategies before in me a too. classroom. Me too. And I'm not going to feel guilty and ashamed of them because I literally didn't know better because I was still trying to figure it out the job the profession and how I wanted to teach because I was still very young yeah me too but now that I'm more experienced more mature have my own children as well so there's so many other things now that I can draw influence on I don't want to do it the same way and I'm committed to doing it better not because I've always done it better right but because I'd like to now right. and if we know better we have to do better yes so if we know the research and we know better, like all that autism research I have, if I know better now, now I have to do better. Yes. And if I know better and I don't do better, I feel like we have to figure that piece out. I have all the research, a lot of research on why those strategies don't work, the sticker charts, clip down systems. But I've sent it to some people and they've like, oh, okay. I read it, but I'm still going to do it. Nope. If you know better, you have to do better now. That's the rule. I'm not giving it to you if, if you're going to yeah. break the rules. That rule. The, and I'm a rule breaker. <laughs> I read research that said, now that, like I said, with autism, the kids now are adults and they're speaking out. And they've done a research study that said 86% of the kids who are now adults that have had ABA done to them have PTSD. 86%. <laughs> That's horrifying. Horrifying. So I thought, okay, so now I know better. Now I have to do better. So now I have to speak louder against it because, and you know what I thought? Okay, so I don't know. All research probably has this statistical error. So say it's yeah. 50% statistical error, yeah, with, still too many. which is would never happen in research. But say that's true, then it's still 36%. It's still 36%. And and so I say, do you know how many kids I've given PTSD to and all the strategies I've used? Zero. Yes, zero. zero. Yeah. And then people will say, but you haven't worked with low-functioning autistic kids. I have a little bit. Not as much as I guess everybody in that field has. I still think there's a better yeah. way. I don't understand. They're still human. Yeah. Their brains don't work like my brain. I get it. But they're still human. And they yeah. still need safety, belonging, self-esteem, they still need that stuff. So I get all fired up. 
<laughs> I like it. I like it. So I reached out to you, Meg. I like it. <laughs> you um, me. You saw the fire up in this. Oh, I knew. Oh, I knew what I was it. getting into. It's good. I liked it. So after all of this conversation, what are your hopes for education moving forward? Oh, man, that it's that we remember that we're teaching humans and that we're not teaching learned monsters, that we're not teaching yep. kids to just be smart. Because the things I worry that the things we're teaching kids, technology is going to do that job when these kids get older. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. I, it's I exactly had a 12-year-old 12 year 12 year boy that liked to do, liked to play video games. And I yeah. said, well, buddy, you can't play video games your whole life. So he's going to be a YouTuber. Then he said, no, you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to be the manager at the toll booth. Like when you go through and you have to throw your quarters in or have easy pass. Okay, but yeah. by the time you are old enough, there's not going to be a person in the toll booth. No. There's going to be no one to manage. No. Because we don't have toll booths here anymore. We don't have them. No. It's all electronic. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. So I'm like, at that point, <laughs> all of those are getting taken away and it's just going to be like a blue blip thing above you that's already started. Yep. That's what they have. Yep. At some point, the people at the grocery store are going to be just like, it's all going to be self-checkout. And there's going to be like two people yep. to help with this people who can't do the self-checkout. That's going to happen. Yep. So what do we, our two greatest predictors of school success have nothing to do with academics. They are whether you can enter, maintain, and exit an empowering conversation, I mean, an empowering relationship in self-regulation. It has nothing to do with academics. If those are the greatest two predictors of school success, we then need to teach those two things. That when you get mad, can you turn that into self-discipline? So I know now that I'm mad and I want to do this, but I'm not going to do this because I have these other strategies that I've been working on. So self-regulation and relationships are the two greatest predictors of school success. They have nothing to do if you can read at five, if you can read at nine, if you could read at two. It has to do, it's all social emotional. That is on one part incredibly liberating to me to hear that. On on the second. And scary. Yeah, because we don't actually do enough work on that. No, and, and we do it in early childhood. So when I was a kindergarten teacher, it wasn't a childcare setting. So I had four and a half to six year olds. Yep. Child care centers and preschools are better at yeah. social emotional growth. Yeah. And then we would send our kindergartners on to first grade at the public school. And every year they called us about a couple kids. Mm. We cannot get them to listen, sit still, pay attention, do their work, not flip out. How did you do it at, at your school? So we would tell them and they said, oh, we can't do that here. We probably didn't make them. Because um, it listen and pay attention like that. You probably had other ways of engaging with them. Yes. And then we get a lot of people say, but they're going to have to sit at circle when they get to public school. Okay. Then they'll figure it out when they get there. I'm not taking away their five-year-old year to teach them to sit at circle. And how am I going to make them do it? Sit, sit on them? Like, how do you make a kid sit if you don't hold them? You can't. You have to be interesting. You have to have good curriculum. You have to... Um, maybe have a variation of seating. There's a yeah. billion things you have to do to get that kid to focus and sit, and it has nothing to do with making him do it. it this reminds me so much growth. of one of your posts that you said something like, if somebody says to you that one day they'd like to be a mother, would you make them oh. practice being pregnant? Yes, right. Because one day they're going to be. And it's like, no, well, you wouldn't. You just, when you're there, you just make the most of it at that situation. in that situation. You wouldn't practice for something that was upcoming that you're not currently dealing with. No, you just figure it out when you get there. And it's like people people used to say to me, oh, get your sleep now. And I was like, oh, there's no sleep bank. That's not a thing. You can't be well-rested going into pregnancy and then it's fine. That's the dumbest thing you've ever heard. But everybody says it. Don't they? Everybody says it. (laughs) And and I've seen pregnant women, right, when I've done workshops, they said, so – you're pregnant. I always obviously make sure I pick out the super pregnant one. So it's obvious. And yes. um, I never want to make that mistake. Yikes. No. And I said, so you get up at two in the morning now and you feed the baby doll and you change the diaper and you rock <laughs> the baby doll to sleep. And so ladies, ladies look at me like, no. And I was like, but you have to practice. Mm. And they were like, no. And I was like, huh? Funny how we do that to kids, huh? And they are all, then everybody else is like, oh, yeah, we do that. Yes. We do it. Rather than just giving good strategies at the time when they need them. Yeah. 
When a kid comes in and can't sit at circle, it's not because I didn't try. It's because the kid has a myriad of other things happening that you have you have to deal with. Not me, because I dealt with them in yeah. the way I do. You yeah. have to deal with them, and you have to form a relationship with this kid on your own. I can come in and help you. I promise it's going to go away when I leave, because he's going to interact with me the way he's always interacted with me. Yeah. And you have to find your way of interacting with him. But yeah. that means you have to be humble, lose power and control, share it with him, ask him questions, figure out the strategies, try stuff and be okay when they don't work. Don't yeah. use behavior management systems that are stupid. You have to do all that. I think they're stupid. So yeah, you're going to get a lot of, well, this might be the one you get a lot of uh, <laughs> between the autism feedback and the sticker chart. This one is pretty edgy. I uh, see in me, my head, it's not edgy. So it's funny and everybody it's else because I don't see it. Well, I'm not a primary school teacher, so I don't use a lot of those things in my day-to-day anyway. Right, it's, right. it's just an interesting, to me, it's just very interesting. But, yeah, I'm. we'll see. We'll see. I'm a relatively passive oh. kind of under-the-radar person, so it will be interesting. Oh, I'm not. So <laughs> I'm not under the radar. I don't think I've ever flown under the radar. Oh, really? I'm pretty good at it. No. Uh-uh. I tricked a lady one time. When I was working with a kid and she said to me, she goes, oh, you and I are a lot alike. And I thought, <laughs> uh, right, I'm a behavior person. I know temperament. And I thought, yeah. she's way off. She goes, yeah, you and I are just so peaceful and tranquil. <laughs> if you know me even a little bit, you're right. You've known me for what, two hours? Well, well, even and just tranquil? the way and the, and the manner, no. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> no, no. I do not lead with peaceful and tranquility. Peacefulness and tranquility. I do not. I lead with energy, feisty, edgy, and fast, mm. probably. I like that, though. I think that's right. But you can't be under the radar if you're feisty, no. edgy, and fast. No. But this is the part where the compassion comes in is I am like that because I have to be. Is it comfortable for me? If everybody just listened, I would fly under the radar. If they just read my research and read the research and took what I had to say, then I wouldn't have to be edgy and feisty and sassy. But I have to be because there are kids involved. And at some point I'm going to be in a nursing home peeing in a bedpan. And those kids are going to be the nurses. Mm -hmm. And if we do not lead them down a good path, I think if I don't pee in the bedpan, I'm not getting a sticker. And I'm going to be really (laughs) But they're the future of America and we don't want our future. The world. Because you are going into the ears of a lot of Australians right now, Meg. (laughs) Yeah, I am. The last question I would like to ask you is what are some of the greatest lessons you have ever learned in your lifetime? Oh, ever learned in my lifetime. It's easier to not say something than to have to take it back. That's hard for somebody who thinks out loud. <laughs> <laughs> that loving children and using kindness is always better than using fear. Using love is always better than using fear apologizing to a child is one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do. And, oh, this one. That before you, if you were a teacher and you do not have children, we're going to get hate mail on this too. If you were a teacher and don't have children, you are missing a piece. The only way you can get that piece is to have children. That's a big statement. Yes. So when before I taught kindergarten, I did not have Brennan. I taught all 10 years not being a parent. My eyes open and my life changed in obvious ways and in in obvious Mm. ways, not obvious ways when I had Brennan. So the obvious ways were I cannot believe that my love can be this big, that I could be so attached to another human being that I could die for another human being. The part that was not obvious is that, ha, all those parents where I said I didn't judge and I got their back, I so judged them. So... I'm not saying it's bad that you're a teacher and you don't have children because I did it for 10 years, but know that it, when you do have children, your eyes will open. Mm-hmm. And I, and again, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that was one of my greatest eye opening experiences in life is that, Oh, to be a teacher and to be a parent are much different. And I think now in this pandemic, being a teacher and a parent at the same time is going to be a new thing that is going to make people crazy. <laughs> so you're saying that you're, you're not saying that you need to be a parent to be a good teacher you're not saying that you're just saying that if you're no. a teacher you don't necessarily know what it's like to be a parent 
Yes. Yeah, so if you were a teacher, there's no book, there's no online course, there's no practice that you can learn or read that will fully get you to understand what it's like to be a parent. Okay. And if parents are our child's first caregiver, we are their second environment is their third. When we have trouble with parents, but we're not a parent, we just have to know that that piece is, is missing. So we have to, again, take a step back, be humble and know, right? Some teachers go their whole lives without having kids. I'm not saying you have to have kids. I'm not making that yeah. decision for you. You can do what you want. I don't care at all. I just yeah. know that there is a part that you will never fully understand. Just like I have one kid. I'm only having one kid. We have made mm -hmm. that decision as a family. I have a friend who has three kids and I have a friend who has four kids. I cannot assume, yeah. I cannot know, I cannot babysit, I cannot read things about how it is to have four children. I don't know. Yeah. I will never know. And when I go to our house and those two friends are together and my son is there, there's eight kids. I'm used to one. Mm -hmm. And I'm also used to groups of kids, but I'm in a different capacity, right? I'm not like yeah. fun Meg. I'm like teacher Meg. Yeah. So there's just that piece that you're never going to learn. And I think that's helpful to know because I didn't know. I thought I knew. Oh, she can't get her kid dressed in the morning. Man, yeah. that kid must be hard or that mom must be busy. Or, and then when I had Brennan, I was like, oh, that's what that, that's what that meant. Yes. Huh. Right. Yep. That's what that parent was going through. Or the parents said they came to the bathroom by themselves. They always have little fingers under the door or the doors open or the kids on uh, in the bathroom with them. The first day I had Brennan on my lap and I was going to the bathroom, he's crying and I'm rubbing and scratching his back on, yep. rocking him on the potty. I thought, huh, that was the day I yes. realized I did not know what it was like to be a parent until I was one. So you said we're going to get hate mail from that. No, no, because I wanted to clarify because it sounded at the start like if you're not a parent, you're missing a piece in the, yeah, but, no, it, was, yeah. but it was more about that you're missing. So if you're a teacher that isn't a parent, you can't fully understand what a parent is going through. Yeah, yeah that's not a, I'm right. to clarify and you just that. Have to know that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just have to know that piece. Mm. That that piece is going to be challenging to understand the other side. Yeah. Same with Black Lives Matter. Right. Yeah. I'm a white woman, so that I am all about. My heart is open. My mind is open. My ears are open. I'm listening. Do I understand what it? what they're going through? No. Will I ever? Mm. No. Same with kids yep. with autism. Yeah. Autistic children. I will never know what they're going through because I don't have that. So I just have to keep that in mind when I am reacting, when I am being proactive, when I am making strategies, when I am trying to understand another, that there's some things we just never will know yeah. fully, unfortunately. Yeah. Thank you so much. I hope we don't get hate mail because yeah. I have... Loved every second of this. This is going to be a two-parter, Meg. Because <laughs> we have chatted for so long. I'm going, I'm like, this is, I think we're in part seven now. And Thank you so much for being open, honest, excited, passionate, and for being so clear. And peaceful and tranquil. <laughs> but about putting our kids first. And thank you, because that to me is the most amazing thing. Thank you for always wanting each single student in a room to be catered for and to be cared for. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. I hope everybody takes that message away, that we can do it for each kid individually. We don't have to make it a group thing, and it doesn't have to end up in shame, guilt, and embarrassment for sure. Yeah.